Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I am your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. And today is episode 83, and we're going to take a look at the Clean Air Act. This one is really interesting. I learned a lot from it. But first of all, I want to give a big shout out to my listeners, so let me go to my list. So here we go. A big shout out to Ohio, Florida, Alabama, Oregon, British Columbia, Pennsylvania, New York, Texas, my lovely neighbor, Oklahoma and Virginia. In terms of countries, the United States, Canada, the United Kingdom, Netherlands, Slovakia, South Africa, Japan and Denmark. Awesome. Good to see you there. Okay, so let's go ahead and take a look at this puppy. This one was interesting because I didn't realize how far back it went. Um there was a law that was passed back in the 50s in regards to air pollution. But the Clean Air Act was the first federal mandated one. And this one was signed into law um by President Nixon. So, it's one of those things that people were already aware of air pollution. They had been aware of it for a long time and they were very concerned with it for probably at least 2 or 3 decades prior to this going into effect. which would have been in 1963. So, you know, there were people concerned on both sides of the aisle, not just in terms of political figures and elected officials, but citizens all across the United States were very concerned about air pollution, especially since of well, any type of pollution actually, but um they were very concerned about air pollution and air quality, especially since the industrial revolution. So, what we have to remember is that at one point in time everything was new right technology industry different types of workings in the economy things of that nature so with the industrial revolution came a whole lot more jobs and very few of them were office jobs they were very much manual labor jobs they were blue collar jobs so you know one thing that we have learned about from this podcast is when we when we uh, zeroed in on the different labor unions a lot of the different labor unions within the United States and I'm not talking about the ones that have since merged with international unions or maybe merged with Canada or Europe or whatever the case may be I'm talking about the original ones that are here from the United States which there are quite a few but here's the thing a lot of those labor unions were founded because there was a new type of industry or their industry grew into something new And so what that means is that you have more people working that type of job, working within that type of industry, but also there are more patents um being created and passed and authorized. You know, like these different types of textiles and different types of electricity. You know, all these different things that, you know, we may not realize what all goes into turning on the light switch in our house, but there's so much that goes on behind the walls. and also with the electrical company. So there's so much of those things that at one point what we need to remember is that at one point in time the United States did not have electricity. Like electricity is still a modern convenience. It it's modern. It it has not been around as long as natural sunlight of course and it has not been around as long as candles. So there are still many parts of the world that do not have electricity. So this is still a modern convenience. That doesn't mean we're ungrateful. That doesn't mean that we don't know we're blessed. It's just that we need to remember where this stuff came from. You know, how it came about in its infancy because it explains where we are today. 
Now, being that, I am very grateful for the Industrial Revolution because that's where a lot of our industry came from, right? Especially in the United States. However, even way back then, when the Industrial Revolution was, you know, really picking up speed, you know, these different places of business were definitely figuring out that, hey, we need a safer way to make these goods. But it's one of those things: if you're the first one inventing this type of good or something. Then you know there's going to be cause and effect, and there's going to be good things and bad things, and you're going to be testing things, right? So it's one of those things that that we learn as we go. It's almost like when when the EPA or when a place of business is cleaning up a Superfund site, the way they cleaned them up back in the '70s or '80s is probably very different compared to how we clean them up now. Why? Because we have better technology. We have、um, more knowledge about it. We just know more about the environment, so we know more of what works and what doesn't work. It's the same thing here with air pollution and with the Clean Air Act. Now, here's the thing: it says the Clean Air Act is the United States' primary federal air quality law. So there is some murky waters here with this, and here's why: because define air quality. Does air quality mean that you can't have anything impure in it whatsoever? Because living here in Oklahoma, I can tell you it's not possible to have clean, pure air here. Why? Because we have tornadoes, we have extreme weather, and we have a lot of wind. Like sometimes the wind gusts can be 40 miles an hour, and you're driving on the highway. Well, once you step out of your vehicle, you could easily be inhaling pollen, dirt, someone else's smoke from their cigarette, and I'm not against smokers. I'm just saying that, you know, th- there's a lot of murkiness with what is considered air quality. Of course, we would love everything to be like it was back, you know, hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago, where you just had indigenous people, right? And there wasn't a lot of deforestation, there wasn't air pollution like there is today, but there was pollution back then, even with indigenous people, right? I mean, if ever they had to cook something, they had to start a fire, right? If ever they wanted to, you know, build a house, they had to chop down trees. Well, trees provide us with oxygen. So th- there's all these different ways of looking at things. So I just kind of wanted to set the the foundation for this, so that way, you know, try and eliminate jumping to conclusions because you know one thing I learned about reading about the Clean Air Act of the United States. Is us reading about the different court cases, and that's very fascinating to me because I love to research the law and see, okay, what is what is the foundation of our laws? Because you start from there. You you don't start in murkiness, right? You don't start in the gray area. You start in the black and white and yes and no, and then you build on that. That's how you define laws, and that's also how you. Pass laws and you write laws. Of course, you need to reverse that order. You write them first, then pass them. Of course, with Obamacare, that didn't happen like that. They just dumped a bunch of stuff into this huge document and then did not even give our elected officials a chance to even read it. They just wanted to pass it. Now, if that's not the dumbest thing, I don't know what is. I mean, that's like signing a lease on a house or an apartment and not reading any of the of the document. That's how dumb that is. Or if you're purchasing health insurance from your employer or and on your own, 
that that would be like you just purchasing a random health insurance policy and you don't know what your copay is and you don't know where and you don't know what you're going to be paying per month that's how dumb that is so we need to make sure that we understand what all is in this puppy and also what's been added to it and i don't mean added to it in a bad way it's just that there are things that are past and times past that they need to be updated as society grows as our population grows and as things change because what was taking place back in the 50s, 60s and 70s may not be completely relevant to what is happening today in our time, right? That doesn't mean that what they did or what they passed back then in terms of rules, laws and regulations, it doesn't mean that what they passed were not good. It just means that things need to be updated and they need to be relevant to what's happening today because people's lives change. industries change you know that that's why we have laws that are set in stone but also some that they get amended so there are major amendments in connection to the clean air act and from what i can tell they're not bad they're actually quite good because they are protecting the public from air pollution because there is something that you and i we have to breathe in order to survive so it's not something that we can throw away or that we can afford to mishandle or to ignore. So I just wanted to make that clear from the get-go because I know that there may be people on the right and the left listening to this podcast. And here's the thing, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on, this applies to everybody because I think everybody cares about their environment. And I say their environment because the environment belongs to you and to me. And technically your environment is whatever you are currently living in. You know, I live in Oklahoma City, so I live in a city. So, you know, I see a lot more traffic than a town or a village or something, right? So there are things that I notice that maybe other people may not notice, because it depends on the area that you live in, right? So, you know, for example, I live in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. You may live in California. You may live in Los Angeles. And maybe some of the things that we discuss make you roll your eyes because you have way more pollution out there in LA. You know that may be one reason why California is so weird about some of their environmental laws and kind of too extreme. But here's the thing: you know, whatever laws you pass, you need to make sure that they're not punishing people. And unfortunately, that's what's been happening in the uh, in the county of Los Angeles. and in the state of California. And unfortunately because there were so many laws passed in one area of trying to fight something that over aggressiveness in terms of over regulation by the government it has creeped over into other areas within the state of California and one of those areas is this is the area or the arena of real estate. which is very unfortunate because real estate should not cost an arm and a leg or a foot or a toe. I mean it shouldn't it shouldn't cost that much like that. It just shouldn't. I mean I understand that 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 the market it goes up and it goes down, but what's happening in California and I would say New York as well, but especially California, what's happening out there is to me is really quite disheartening and 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 not right because there are a great many people that live out there and they they have every right to own a home or an apartment or a condo whatever the case may be they have every right to call a place home and for it to be reasonable you know what i find interesting about 
uh, Democrats, especially liberals, like the, the extremes. I love my, my blue blood Democrats. I miss just my plain Jane Democrats that are not nutty. You know, that they're, they're just your, your average everyday people that, you know, they may work for a union or have a union job, but, but they're not nutty in some of the things that they want to vote on or things that they talk about. You know, they're just regular everyday people and they understand that, right? The people I'm talking about are, are just the extremists wanting to pass laws about every little thing, making it so that we're just mindless drones and it's like we can't, We can't make up our own mind and we're not allowed to make up our own mind. Like that's ridiculousness. And, you know, the United States is not founded on that. And the state of California was not founded on that. I think California needs to go back to its humble beginnings. Because California was founded by very adventurous people. People that were, you know, just, I don't know how else to describe it. Just, you know, you know, Lewis and Clark. I mean, they were just... Amazing people. I mean, they risked everything to travel out to California and start a new life with nothing. Like when we think of California now, I mean, we think of Hollywood, L.A., Beverly Hills, you know, maybe Catalina Island. And we think of Disneyland. But I mean, back in the day, California was not some ritzy place. It was not like that. Like if you moved out to California, you know, this is during horse and buggy times or wagon times. You know, you were really taking a huge risk to go out there and you were you had courage, amazing courage to go out there because you're, you're risking everything. You're risking your livelihood and your life. That's another thing, because it was a very dangerous trek to go to California all across the, you know, travel all across the United States to get to California, you know, in a wagon with horses and oxen and cattle. I mean, that's how California was founded. And so now for it to be some hoity-toity state being run by crazy liberal nutbags that are punishing its people for wanting to, to have a home and you know, to be able to pay their bills, to be able to get ahead, to be able to, to afford having a family. I mean, just, just basic necessities are so expensive out there. It's ridiculous and it shouldn't be like that. So what I find interesting is that these crazy liberal nutbags out in California that are passing these really weird policies – Even at a local level, because you have a local level, which is your county, right? You know, you know, your towns and your cities. Then you have state level and federal level. Well, unfortunately, California has been electing some really weird people into all levels of public service. And that's really sad because, you know, nutty people are very unreliable and they're very unpredictable. That's, and that's just how they are. You know, that's just their nature. Like, it's very rare for you to get a, you know, a tiger to change its stripes. So you need to elect people that are stable and that are not nutty. But unfortunately, what's been going on, and this kind of surprises me with this, just in their, their doctrine and how they look at things, it does not make sense to me. And if you're one of these people, do reach out to me. I would love to have you on the show. You know, enlighten me as to why... You think this way or why things are like this out in California because, you know, I see the market out there and so many good, wonderful people are leaving California and so many good and kind companies and very successful companies are having to leave California and go to Florida or Texas, which is why Florida and Texas are not very happy right now with all these Californians moving there because they don't want their state to become like California. They don't want... people from California to ruin their state.
And I don't blame them for that. See, but here's what I don't understand. Is that, you know, these crazy liberal nutbags, they say they want to help people. And so they pass all these rules, laws, and regulations that just do not make sense, that are very expensive to run. They want all these welfare programs. Let me get a drink of water. My throat is dry. They want to pass all these programs that make no sense, that are not feasible or doable, that are not uh, fiscally responsible, which is another thing. You know, these crazy liberal Democrats, they... I bet you they don't even know how to balance their own checkbook, which is why they're so eager to spend someone else's money because they don't really have their own money. Or if they do have their own money, they don't want to spend it on you or me. So talk about greed. But one of the things I really do not understand with the liberal left, because not everybody that's on the left is liberal. Okay? But let's make that very clear distinction here. There, there are different levels to liberalism. So... What I don't understand is that they say they want to help people, but yet they're ruining the economy in California. You know, they say they, they want to help the homeless, but yet California has one of the highest homeless rates in the United States. I mean, they say they care about people and their livelihood, but people can't even afford to buy a one-bedroom, one-bath out there. So obviously raising taxes and having all these welfare programs obviously that is not the solution it's the problem. Cuz California used to be affordable. I mean it was even affordable back when I was a teenager and I'm 38 now. It really saddens me to see that a one bedroom one bath costs like 2 or 3000 a month. That's insane. Like that's worse than New York City. That that's worse than Manhattan. And California is is way prettier than, than New York, but it's it's not a big business mecca like New York is. So I just find it very interesting whenever a political party claims to care about people but yet they're ruining people's lives. by the laws and the the regulations that they pass. See, here's the thing, there are different types of laws and then there are different types of regulations. There are things that can be passed at the federal level, then there are things that can be passed at the state level, then there are things that can be passed at the local level. So that's why it's very important for you to register to vote, even if it's not during a presidency year. You do need to continue to vote and be aware of things even in a non-election year, even if it's not for the president of the United States. You you still need to be aware of what is going on at a federal, state and local level because you and I we are part of this country and we are part of society. And if you are an adult which is age 18 or over in the United States and you have the right to vote, there's some people that don't have the right to vote, but I think it's um I try to remember who it is. I can't remember if it's if they're convicts or registered sex offenders or felons or there's I need to look that up because there there's a certain group of people that are not allowed to vote and I don't agree with that. Um it's kind of like how I don't agree with um you know say for example a convicted felon You know, they get released from prison, they're not ever allowed to own a firearm ever again. I don't agree with that because 
they still need to be able to defend themselves. You know, if I have the right to bear arms, so does everybody else. Like I don't think just because someone went to prison for XYZ crime that that they should be permanently banned from ever owning a firearm. Like how are they supposed to defend themselves or their family? I think sometimes these laws go extreme. But anyway, um I just wanted to clear that up from the get-go on that and I will double check my facts on why and how someone's right to vote is taken away from them and then also the firearms thing. I will make a note of that because I want to make sure I tell you straight on on that because there's a documentary I saw a long time ago about people that did not have the right to vote and that just broke my heart. I was like, "Well, what what was the United States founded on? We were founded on freedom." And then people that, you know, no longer have the right to purchase a firearm um you know we fought another country in order in order for the right to bear arms here and we defeated britain like we are no longer part of their monarchy like one of the reasons why uh, the people that lived here in america at the time they um they were greatly being suppressed by the british they were being overtaxed and then the monarchy did not want them to have any type of weapon whatsoever so they could not defend themselves from the british soldiers well how is that any different than what we're doing to convicted criminals that they've served their time you know they 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 served their time they've been released from prison and now they can't ever own a firearm i mean that's ridiculous I I I and I live in Oklahoma. Like I am all for people owning a weapon, you know, cuz you need to protect yourself and your family, but you know, I think sometimes our rules, laws and regulations go too far and it's like sometimes they just continue to punish people. And we have a big problem with that here in Oklahoma because as I've said in times past on this podcast, Oklahoma has one of the highest incarceration rates in the country. So obviously the Bible Belt states have not been doing that great of a job of implementing justice and implementing it in the correct way because we've also had a lot of people go to prison that should have never gone to prison. And I'll give an example with that. Or just a not a definitive example, but just something I don't like. I don't think circumstantial evidence is evidence because it's circumstantial. It's not black and white yes and no. Circumstantial evidence means you can sway it one way or the other well to me then it no longer is evidence it ceases to be evidence if it's circumstantial yes it may be convincing yes you may be able to convict somebody but are you convicting the right person i mean i look at the the legality of that that greatly concerns me because our court system used to not used to not allow circumstantial evidence i mean it had to be very clear definitive evidence because the the risk of imprisoning an innocent person was was taken very seriously back in the day i don't think it's taken as seriously today i just don't because we have so many people that have been falsely imprisoned and it's like it's like splitting hairs to get them to be released it's 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 very difficult to get the state to admit and i don't just mean oklahoma this could be any number of states within the united states it also has this issue but especially in the bible belt states 
I mean, it takes forever to get the state to admit it made it made a problem and to release somebody. It takes years. And I'm like, you know, that's ridiculous. The moment you know someone did not commit that crime, they need to be released immediately and the investigation needs to be reopened to try and find the person that actually committed the crime. So, you know, I mentioned that because You know, there are times that the government is correct, and there are times that the government is wrong, even at a state level. So sometimes there are things that happen at a state level, then there are things that happen at a federal level. So, but let's get back to the Clean Air Act on this one, because I don't want to get too far off topic, but I did want to mention those things because there are some similarities in how our government works, whether it's at a state, local, or federal level. Um, in regards to the Clean Air Act, this is federal, but based on the amendments that were passed, the Clean, the Clean Air Act actually requires that the states work in conjunction with the EPA to implement things. And if they do not, then they get cited by the federal government. Because, and the reason for that is because the federal government... And the powers that be, when they, whenever, whenever they pass this Clean Air Act and they pass these amendments, they did not want the Clean Air Act to be the sole responsibility of the federal government because they already had the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. So they already had an agency within the federal government. And so the federal government made a very wise decision back then, which is rare for the federal government to make wise decisions these days. Um, but they made the decision that they would rather the Clean Air Act be implemented more at a state level in terms of regulations because the states know more about themselves than the federal government. The federal government sometimes and most of the time is stretched very thin. So it did not want to create yet another federal agency and try and manage the entire 50 United States and our territories. which I don't blame them for that because I think that's a lot to take on. And I think if you want states to be, if you want them to be compliant, you need to give them a chance to be compliant. Like the states have a brain. They, they know what industries they have in their state. Like, for example, you know, the industries that are in the state of Alabama are not the same as the industries in Oklahoma or California. So, You know, those are three different states. Well, those three different states know what they need and what they want and what they need to do in order to implement clean air and also different types of pollution cleanup. So it was very wise of the federal government to not create another federal agency because I don't think it would have handled it very well at all. And I think it would have gotten too big too fast. And I think it would have gotten too big for its britches. But anyway... Um, That is how this is being implemented. So the Clean Air Act is a federal regulatory law, okay? So it's not an agency. It's already connected to an, an agency, and that is the EPA. So they very wisely did not create another agency because I think there would have been some conflict with that. It's like, well, who's in charge of what? If you create too many federal agencies, that's what I was talking about in times past in a previous podcast where I said, you know, these federal agencies – Before the EPA was created, there were all these different federal agencies, and it's like 
it was like having a, a pissing contest all the time because like no that's my jurisdiction no that's your jurisdiction and so that's why another reason why the EPA came about was to instead of causing division bring people together because not a lot was getting done with all these different divisions and people wanting to be in charge of everything all the time they do they did need a a HQ a central place to call home which is the EPA in Washington DC but they really needed a way to bring all this under one umbrella which is really smart to do that because it creates accountability because if you don't have accountability then how do you know what rules laws and regulations you have and which ones you need in order to provide the service that you're promising the public because the general public are paying the wages and the fees of all these things that go into these federal agencies like we are basically paying their salaries and we have been paying their salaries for a long time that's why the powers with the people it's not with the federal government do we need a federal government yes of course we do we do but do not underestimate the power that you have as a citizen especially in the voting booth so if you're not registered to vote you need to do that um you can register to vote at a tag agency or online So either way, you need to get registered. Pick a party, pick one that correlates to what you believe in and whatever you believe in strongly and go with that party. I don't care if it's Democrat or Republican. I would prefer it if people did not create a third party because third parties never win and they they steal votes away from the other two parties and it makes it very difficult to get the right candidate sometimes to run and or win. in one of those two parties which is the Democrat party or the Republican party. There are some things that I do agree with with the third party, but it's not enough for me to switch and there's so many things about for example, uh I think they're called libertarians. They're just a little nutty. Um it's like they want it's like they want all the the low taxes and all the good capitalism stuff from the republican side but then they also want um they basically want permission to be immoral or amoral like there are some guys that are libertarians that think that they should be able to have multiple wives I mean things like that I mean that's polygamy I mean that's just sick you see that that's that's what happens when you have people that that, that don't believe in right and wrong they just use your system against you and they typically use it for money. Um I actually this is random but I guess I'll give this as an example. I went on a date with a guy. This is how many years ago would this be? Probably 10 10 or 12 years ago. It was quite a while ago. We only went on one date and that was it and that's all I could take. Um before we went on this date, I thought he was funny, charming, good-looking, would be awesome to go out with. We go on this date He proceeds to tell me that he's a libertarian and that God isn't real, um relationships don't really matter and then he he drops a bombshell on me that he has a kid and I was like, "So did you just randomly have sex with a woman? You know, did you just randomly procreate with a woman or was this someone you were in love with or you were dating?" He goes, "Oh, we were dating." I was like, "Oh, so you do believe in relationships?" Like he was such a hypocrite. He was such a liar. And so um loves his little girl of course um but it's kind of like 
the way that he viewed it because he's a libertarian he just basically gives himself permission to go out there and be promiscuous and um do whatever he wants and i just thought you know i was like well is that how you raise your daughter he's like well no i was like so basically doing whatever you want whenever you want just applies to men but it doesn't apply to your daughter so when your daughter comes of age you know whenever you know girls normally become sexually active I don't know exactly what that age is, but um I was like, well, what if your what if your daughter starts having sex as like a teenager, like a 15-16 year old? And let's say she thinks like you and doesn't think relationships matter and you know, what if she gets pregnant? You know, just like her mom that got pregnant and wasn't married to you. And this guy got really offended. I was like, "Well, see, here's the thing. You you know, you're he put me on the spot continuously on this date. It was horrible because He asked me what I was. And I said, "Well, I'm Republican." I was like, "I don't think that really matters. I mean, we're we're just on a first date." Oh man, he tried to rip me apart on on policy, procedures, I mean, laws, I mean, just like you know, conservatives, you know, they they don't understand you don't have to be married to have a good life. And I was like, "Yeah, but being married protects you from a lot of bad stuff because it's a covenant between you, your spouse and God." He's like, "Well, I don't believe in God." I was like, "Well, good for you. I guess you give yourself permission to be immoral and amoral." I was like, "I'm surprised you're not in prison or jail." He goes, "Why well, believe in laws?" I was like, "Really, which ones? Because you've just thrown quite a few out the window." So, see, that's the problem with libertarians. You know, they they supposedly promote freedom, but it's really just a a life of lawlessness. And it's always women and children that suffer the worst with things like that. Because most women, I'll just say this, I know this is really blunt, but most women want to get married. And if they don't want to get married, they only want to have sex with one man and they want to know that he's only going to have sex with her. Like women are very loyal. Women are very much into monogamous relationships. And I think men can be too, but here's the thing, if if you if you strip yourself of your ambitions of rules laws regulations and and you strip yourself of morals and values and and just being wise and caring about your your health especially your 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 sexual health your physical health your mental health your your psychological health and also your your spiritual health you know your relationship with your heavenly father right if if you go along the lines of of, of libertarians you're in you're a woman especially you're going to have a very miserable life because you're going to be chewed up and spit up by every guy that just wants to bang you and not be responsible for the kid that they knock you up with So needless to say that that guy I went on a date with, we only went out one time and uh we worked together at a company and it was a little strange working there because of him. And we we talked a little bit outside of work every now and then after that, but I mean, he was just a two-faced hypocrite. It's like it's like whatever life he was living did not apply to his kid. because he knew he wanted something better for his daughter. So basically, he didn't want someone like him to date his daughter. I was like, "Really? Then why are you even asking me out?" 
you know, what is the point of this? Like he was so fake and just slimy. It was just weird. But here's the thing. When you are picking a party to vote, please do not pick a third party. I don't care if it's libertarians or communists or fascists, whatever the case may be. Please do not pick a third party if you're in the United States. Please pick Democrat or Republican. I don't care which one. All I care about is that that you pick whatever you truly believe in and that's where your heart is. Because if you are aligning yourself with something that you don't really believe in, you are going to be very miserable and you know that you will be living a lie either one way or another. So if anything, live the truth. and be you. That that's all I would ever want for my listeners is to just be you. That that's why it's so important to register to vote and to vote the way that that you feel and you know, not just feelings, but that you know is right for you. And you need to base it on fact, not just, well, I feel this way. Screw that. I mean, that's dumb. Don't just base things on feelings. You know, feelings can lie to you. Feelings can be deceiving. That's why it's fair to go with black and white, yes and no, because it eliminates 90 to 95 percent of stress in your life. That that's why I tend to go with black and white, yes and no situations, because I don't live in the gray. I can't stand the gray. I wear gray as a color, but that's about it. But that's because it highlights my eyes, because my eyes are green. So, but anyway. back to this lovely clean air act. So I'm going to list off some of the major amendments that were passed. So again, this clean air act uh, was enacted in 1963. And but yet there was a previous um federal act or law that was passed in the 50s and I'll see if I can't find that one. Um but these are the major amendments. The Clean Air Act of 1963, okay? Then there's the Motor Vehicle Air Pollution Control Act of 1965. Then there is the Air Quality Act of 1967. Then there is the Clean Air Amendments of 1970. Then there is the Clean Air Act Amendments of 1977. And then the last one is the Clean Air Act Amendments of 1990. And that was during President Bush's term in 1990. And so um there have been some court cases we will get to those in just a moment but I wanted to talk about the the different things that in terms of the regulatory programs that are under the umbrella because remember we're we are still within the EPA right so we are within the large umbrella of the EPA and then underneath that um, umbrella is the clean clean air act So it's almost like a family tree, right? Like if you have like a 23 and me account, which I do, it's like you have the EPA at the top. Then you have the Clean Air Act as a little branch underneath and then it's branching out to these different regulatory programs. So one of the regulatory programs and some of these are actually really good. I I'm impressed with it and I'm saying this as a capitalist and as a Republican. So these these were I don't know, they just really I was surprised. I guess I should just say it like it is. Sometimes I'm kind of hesitant to what I want to say on this podcast. But I shouldn't be like that because we have freedom of speech. But anyway, I'm impressed with these. I really am because I I wasn't really sure what to expect when researching some of this because usually when I think of the federal government, I think the 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 heavy arm 
and the heavy-handedness of the federal government because a lot of times the federal government is not very kind or endearing to its citizens but our federal government is not as bad as other countries not by any means that's why so many people come to the United States is because we are not overregulated like so many other countries on this planet which I'm trying to be kind and polite about that but the first regulatory program is the national ambient air quality standards so it says the national Ambient air quality standards also known as NAAQS governs how much ground level ozone also known as O3 uh, carbon monoxide which is CO and particulate matter I had not heard of that before but it is designated as PM10 and PM2.5 and then you have lead sulfur dioxide and nitrogen dioxide how much of that are allowed in the outdoor air so the NAAQS um set the acceptable levels of certain air pollutants in the ambient air in the United States prior to 1965 there was no national program for developing ambient air quality standards and prior to 1970 the federal government did not have primary responsibility for developing them the 1970 clean air act amendments required the EPA to determine which air pollutants posed the greatest threat to public health and welfare and let's see here and it established a air quality criteria of what to look for let's see here goes into a little bit more detail um but let's move on to the next one the next uh, regulatory program is the national emission standards for hazardous air pollutants so the national emission standards for hazardous air pollutants also known as NES HAPS governs how much of 187 toxic air pollutants are allowed to be emitted from industrial facilities and other resources or other sources not resources but other sources okay Let's see here it says under the clean air act hazardous air pollutants hapes or air toxics are air pollutants other than those for which naaqs qs exists which threaten human health and welfare. The NES HAPs are the standards used for controlling, reducing and eliminating HAP emissions from stationary sources such as industrial facilities. Now, you have to remember that this is prior to a bunch of superfund sites being um added to the superfund site list and this is prior to the superfund program being established. So, You know, yes we have superfund sites in the United States, but there were certain standards that had to be put into place first before we could identify okay, what do we consider to be an actual problem and what is what is considered bad and what is considered good and then what is everything in between? Like what's that spectrum and what's that standard and what's the procedure to identify this? So this is pre-identifying superfund sites, right? So we're we're setting the standard. So it starts with the EPA, then we have the Clean Air Act, then we have these regulatory standards and programs that we are implementing within the United States, and then that's when we start to identify these superfund sites littered all across the United States, things that happened whether you know non-intentional or intentional, whatever the case may be, whether it's done by the government or by a private sector company. they're setting standards in order to determine okay just how bad is the issue 
And what can we do to, to try and quickly fix it and repair and halt or stop whatever the issue is? So it's kind of hard to fix a problem if you don't know what your problem is, basically. So the next regulatory um, program that was started was the New Source Performance Standards. The New Source Performance Standards, also known as NSPS, are rules for the equipment required to be installed in new and modified industrial facilities and the rules for determining whether a facility is new. That's actually really good to do that because some of the worst I don't want to I I almost didn't want to say this, but the worst forms of pollution come from these facilities that are not handling things very well. They they may be handling very toxic stuff, but they don't know how to dispose of it properly. You know, I'll put it this way, have you ever driven through an industrial park? You know, the industrial park of Oklahoma City is not very pretty. In fact, it's very ugly. And so whenever I'm driving driving through there, you know, whether going to a business meeting or or a meeting up with someone for a lunch date or something, I'm always looking at, okay, how much are these places like how much are they polluting this area? Because You know, I'm not saying it has to look like a Victorian garden or something, but if it looks bad, it probably is bad. So, you know, there are a great many things that I think need to be cleaned up. They need to be cleaned up immediately, but they also need to be cleaned up as they go along. So, if you are, let's say for example, you are in the business of let's say making a certain type of oil. I don't know what, but but let's say it's very messy. Well, clean up your mess as you go along. You know, it's kind of like when you're cleaning up your room. It starts out with you having just a few items on the floor, like maybe a shirt and a sock. Well, if you don't pick those up, then guess what? You're going to throw more stuff on your floor because you're like, "Well, it's not much. I'll just throw it there." It's the same thing. You know, I I think it comes down to do you have character or not? Do you have values? Do you have morals? Because You know, if you have a clean house, you're probably going to have a clean life. But if you have a dirty house, you're probably going to have a dirty life. You know, whatever you consider to be dirty. You know, so we need to be sure that we have the right kind of standards and also that they're feasible and that they're reachable because the worst thing that can happen and the federal government is notorious for this is setting standards so high and so unrealistic that it's not even possible and that it's not even relevant to the industry that they're trying to regulate. That's why I'm always very clear about hey, th- you know, we're not supposed to punish people. We're supposed to help people. But people are not stupid, they're not morons, they're not drones and they're not robots. You know, they they are citizens of the United States of America and they should be treated with dignity and respect, especially when they or a business owner or maybe they're working in an industry that is not safe or you know let's say they they do fracking of oil well you know that's a very dirty job it just is and it's a very dangerous job it's a very at risk job it just it, that's just the nature of it so to expect there to never be an accident or never be a problem is just unrealistic but but can you eliminate quite a few accidents can you prevent quite a few yes for sure But you know we need to have a clear idea of what exactly goes on in a particular industry and how it works and functions before we start regulating it and for sure don't ever overregulate something 
because whenever you overregulate something you you block it from being productive and for being prosperous i mean you block it from people being able to have that livelihood and being able to afford to feed their families that's that's the really tough part with that so the next program that was passed is the acid rain program the acid rain program is an emissions trading program for power plants to control the pollutants that cause acid rain The 1990 um, Clean Air Act amendments created a new title to address the issue of acid rain and particularly nitrogen uh, nitrogen oxides and sulfur dioxide emissions from electric power plants powered by fossil fuels and other industrial sources. Now here's the thing. Some people are anti-fossil fuels all day and all night. I'm like, "Well, do you drive a car?" Do you need to get to and from work? You know, you know, if you're having a heart attack, do you need the ambulance to get to you quickly or do you need to take your relative to the hospital? Like fossil fuels are very much needed in our society because we are an industrial nation. Now, can we be careful with those? Yes. Should we be care- careful? Yes. Can we do things and can we put things in place to to eliminate as much pollution as possible? Yes. But again, do not be heavy-handed and stop the shaming and the blaming. I remember this one ad that was so dumb. There's this guy, of course it's during an election year, but there's this guy in a suit and he's basically representing fossil fuel companies. So obviously he's dressed as a, a evil, wicked executive, and I'm just like, really like not every executive is evil and wicked. You know, just like every leader of a country is not evil and wicked. You know, every not everybody's a Stalin or a Hitler, you know, but anyway. Um so they have this guy in a business suit and he's obviously the executive for a fossil fuel company and he's saying, "Don't you love what they do to the air?" and he has this bottle of air freshener and he's spraying fossil fuel pollutants in the air in someone's home but claiming it's an air freshener. Well, that's very hypocritical to do that because fossil fuels they're not sprayed in the air to freshen the air that's not how fossil fuels are used i understand the point that we need to be careful about fossil fuels but you know air it's i think it just says it for itself it's just like it's so hypocritical like you're you're trying to combine two totally different industries you're trying to combine the making the air fresher industry basically air fresheners with with the fossil fuels and fossil fuels are not put in the air like that fossil fuels are used for energy you don't use air fresheners to create energy now mind you there are some air fresheners that you know that are sold on the shelves at grocery stores that are not good for you to inhale so it's not just fossil fuels that we need to be careful about it's anything that you spray in the air because anything that is in the air can be absorbed through the lungs because of you breathing it in. Now that being said, there are so many rules, laws and regulations on fossil fuel industries and also there's so much training that goes into operating a fossil fuel facility and all the knowledge that goes behind that. Like for example, in a previous podcast I talked about um some of the guys that I met um that actually wanted to study engineering and then like do fossil fuels or oil oil fracking and all this stuff like there's a lot of technical training that goes into that and a lot of it is environmental training. 
So for anyone to claim that fossil fuel companies don't care and that they're all bad, you're the liar and you're the hater and you're the shamer and you're the blamer. You need to do your research and actually why don't you go to school and talk to people that actually are in those classes and what exactly are they being trained on and what exactly does their degree mean in the private sector like when they go out and get a job like what are the do's and don'ts of their field and their industry because i guarantee you if you would actually read about that and actually be knowledgeable and be educated then then you would see the absolute stupidity and arrogance of making an ad about fossil fuels and air fresheners like that and especially during an election year I mean I just roll my eyes at stuff like this I'm like why can't people just be legit like why can't they just say it like it is why can't you just come out and say you hate fossil fuels you wish no one would ever drive a car ever again well if that's really what you think then just say it like it is be honest but at the same time are you going to pay for someone to get a, ho- a horse and buggy are you going to pay for the upkeep of the horse for for someone to get to and from work or to get to and from the emergency room because if you confiscate people's cars And if you're so anti-fossil fuels, then we won't have cars, we won't have jets, we won't have airplanes, we won't have helicopters, we won't have boats. We basically won't have anything except a bicycle or a wheelchair or a um, you know, your legs or maybe a rowboat. I mean like or or maybe a hot air balloon. I mean like just really think about this. Like the whole point of using our natural resources is to use them in a natural way and to make sure that we can renew the face of the earth. There is a way to do that. But if all we're doing is shaming and blaming and having these stupid ads that I can't stand that even I see the falseness of them. I'm just like, "Wow, really? Really?" You know, how about instead of shaming and blaming the fossil fuel industry, we actually help them? I'll say it again. Instead of shaming and blaming the fossil fuel industry, why don't we help them? Because we all use fossil fuels one way or another. I mean, if you're against fossil fuels, then 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 why are you for hospitals having electricity and having a back backup generator to keep people alive on life support that may or may not be dying from COVID-19? Like think about that. Like nobody deserves a death wish. But but whenever you are trying to shame and blame someone and you're punishing someone, you really need to think about the the implications of that. Because whatever you limit is literally whatever you're taking away from somebody else. You know, if you want to ride a if you want to ride a bicycle or if you want to ride a horse all day to get to and fro from things, that's great. You want to pretend like you're from the 1800s? That's great. I love a good western, but here's the thing. It's not right to enforce that on other people. That's communism and that's fascism. And we will discuss fascism and communism in more detail even more because I found some more interesting articles about that and I see the dangers of those. I mean, it's it's really kind of shocking. But anyway, just how do I describe this? There's a way to help without being cruel and without being shaming and blaming. And there's also a way to hold people accountable for what they do wrong 
but help them to see the error of their ways and to try and find a better way of what they were doing. You know what I mean? Like sometimes people may be polluting and they may not realize that what they're doing is wrong or bad. They may not know. So for sure, cite them for the issue, but train them. Teach them. So that way they can train and teach others. Like knowledge is power. I put that in every single one of my podcasts. When I'm writing up the notes to describe, you know, what the particular episode is going to be about, knowledge is power. So if you really want what is best for somebody, you teach them, you train them, you still hold them accountable, but you don't throw them away like a piece of garbage. You know, you you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's what I'm saying. So on with the next um regulatory program that was passed is the ozone layer protection. The Clean Air Act ozone protect uh, program is a technology transition program intended to phase out the use of chemicals that harm the ozone layer. I don't mind that as long as it's being true and accurate because what I've noticed is that the EPA Sometimes they really like those articles that claim all oh, this damage is the ozone but it really doesn't or it does but it's not at an astronomical rate and it's actually could be something that just naturally occurs in nature. Like nature knows what it's doing. Like you know our planet is a living breathing planet. It's not a drone, it's not a robot. So do we have an ozone layer? Yes. Does it need to be protected? Yes, of course. But do we need to hyperventilate? No. We need to be as I say cool common cool and treat everything in a business like manner because otherwise you'll just be an emotional sorority chick that doesn't know what's going on so don't act like that cuz they are dime a dozen and it's really irritating. The next one is the let's see they have different mobile source programs. So these are rules for pollutants emitted from internal combustion engines and vehicles. It says since 1965 Congress has mandated increasingly stringent controls on vehicle engine technology and reductions in tailpipe emissions. Now, I can see why that's important, but I can also speak on behalf of someone that has owned a truck. That has been a nightmare on truck owners because the EPA does not understand the trucking industry. They also do not understand diesel engines. So for example out in California they have an additional emissions tax and this I guess there's this thing you have to put on your car to measure emissions and it's just ridiculous like you know there are some things that that you cannot prevent every type of emission like you just have to be realistic and when it comes to the trucking industry their industry is very unique and very different So it's it's one of those things that it's it's not the same as driving a go-kart. In the trucking industry, without it, you know, we wouldn't have our goods. We wouldn't have grocery stores that are properly stocked. So you don't want to make things more difficult. You actually want to make things more easy or easier and more feasible. But, you know, just use it as a teaching and a training moment. Say, "Hey, you know, your truck is emitting XYZ." We need to get that down. You know, what can we do to help you? Unfortunately, what the EPA has been doing and what the state of California has been doing is they punish people and they use it um by punishing them with fees and fines and things like that. 
that doesn't help. That's just confiscating people's monies. That's not right. That's not training people. That's not teaching people. That's not helping people. It's not helping the environment either. It's just the government collecting more money. So I mean, it's like you know, if the government actually cared, it would actually help um, the car industry and the trucking industry make better and more efficient engines. But here's the thing: the engines that the EPA has approved of and has been trying to enforce, they suck. They can't hardly haul anything. I mean, I know from living in Oklahoma and from owning a truck, I'm just like, well, that truck sucks. Like, and plus, you're paying more money. You're paying thousands of dollars more money for for a crappy vehicle that that can't even get the job done. Well, all you're doing is shooting yourself in the foot. It makes no sense. See, that's where you have a disconnect between the government and the citizens, and that's very unfortunate because the citizens are the government, but you're you're making an agency. How do I put it? You're making an agency view itself as like a god, and that it knows all is the be all and end all, and it's not because it doesn't understand the industry. And when people speak up about it, it just shuns them, shames them, blames them, and fines them a fee, and sometimes very hefty fees for stuff. And it's like you know that is not what we were founded on. We need to get back to our our, our, our original roots and to our foundation of this country. Because you know we're supposed to care about people, right? So we're talking about okay. So the next part of this is on-road vehicle regulations. So the EPA sets standards for exhaust gases, evaporative emissions, air toxics, refueling, vapor recovery, and vehicle inspection. Now I agree with the vehicle inspection because there are so many vehicles on the road they need to be inspected, and maintenance for several classes of vehicles that travel on the roadways. EPA's light duty vehicles regulations cover passenger cars, minivans, passenger vans, pickup trucks and SUVs. Heavy duty vehicles, excuse me, heavy duty vehicle regulations cover large trucks and buses. EPA first issued motorcycle emissions guidelines in 1977 and updated them in 2004. Let's see here. Then they have vehicle uh, testing program. The air pollution testing program for motor vehicles was originally developed in 1972 and used driving cycles designed to simulate driving during rush hour in Los Angeles during that era. So that's actually the good thing about Los Angeles is that the air quality sucks so bad that they can actually use that to say, "Hey, this is what we don't want and how can we improve it?" So, you know, that's actually really smart to use an area such as Los Angeles to really drive a point that hey we have a problem we have a lot of people that live here but this is a great testing ground to try and improve the air quality and since then the air quality in Los Angeles has greatly improved is it perfect no but it has improved so much i'm just amazed but what's great about what they found with the studies and the research and development that they did out there is that they can use that information to help all cities all towns in terms of air pollution. So that's really good. So Gold Star Los Angeles, really good there. Then they have the non-road vehicles uh regulations. This is mostly pertaining to jet engines and um I would say locomotives as well. So, you know, jet fuel is completely different than regular fuel for for cars and trucks, right? So, do we want to be concerned about emissions? Yes, but it's not the same as with cars and trucks. It's a different type of fuel. because it's a different type of engine and it's a different type of machinery. 
So of course the fuel has to be different and so you need different standards for that. There are also different standards for locomotives. Now, I will say this, locomotives can be very dirty and grimy based on if they use um fossil fuels or coal or whatever the case may be, but there's a way to make those better. And so they have worked on that over time. So again, not shaming, not blaming. It's just a way to help improve things. So can we still use trains? Yes, I wish we had more trains. Because if we had more trains, we would have less cars on the road. So regardless of what mode of transportation you prefer, all of them are very important. All of them are vital to our society. Not a single one of them should be shamed or blamed, not by any means, but we can always make them better, and that's always good. So the next part of this is fuel controls. So the EPA has regulated the chemical combustion or composition of, of transportation fuels since 1967 with significant new authority added in 1970 to protect public health. One of EPA's earliest actions was the elimination of lead in US gasoline beginning in 1971, a project that has been described as one of the great public health achievements of the 20th century. I did not know that lead was initially in our gasoline. I didn't know that. Lead does not need to be in that. I I think they were learning more and more about that. I think what started is with lead paint. And so, you know, there are things that you learn over time. And so, once you realize, "Hey, this shouldn't be in there. We shouldn't use this. Let, let's take it out. Let's see if we can remove it from that substance and find another way to use it or exclude it." That's the proper thing to do as opposed to shaming and blaming the gasoline companies like Chevron or Kermagee or you know British Petroleum or whatever the case may be. Instead of shaming and blaming, let's find a better way to have a natural resource that we can actually use. That's the smart thing to do. And it all it also creates more companies, it creates more job growth and it creates more jobs. So that's really good. So That's the that's the thing to do when looking at these problems instead of going, "Oh, problem, problem, what do we do about it?" create a solution. Create a better way of life. Have more companies, have more jobs. You know, people will be able to provide more for their families. All because we identified a problem and we wanted a solution, we wanted to make things better. That's how you handle things appropriately. So then it talks a little bit about state implementation plans. So Part of the federal program or part of the federal law of this amendment was to incorporate the states to basically regulate their state basically and to be in conjunction with the federal law and um with basically rules laws regulations as well as permits and that's really good to do that because it gives the states a chance to identify what's going on in their state without being bullied without being shamed and blamed That's really important because I think there are a lot of people that want to help. It's just they're scared to speak up because they're scared of the heavy-handedness of the federal government. Now, I did find the uh, original Air Pollution Act that was in the 50s. It was the Air Pollution Control Act of 1955, and it was in its infancy back then. It wasn't as um rigorous and as I would say it's not as important, but it didn't have a lot of uniqueness to it like the one that was passed in 1963, but this one it says that it authorized a research and training program lost my place, a research and training program spending 3 million dollars per year 
or sending, excuse me, well, spending and sending, but sending $3 million per year to the U.S. Public Health Service for five years, but did not directly regulate pollution sources. So here's the thing. It was a good start. It's a good stepping stone because, mind you, they're just starting to identify that we have different types of pollution in the United States and you have all these different federal agencies that may or may not be talking to each other because, remember, 1955, the EPA had not been created yet. So it's a stepping stone, but it's, it's, not, it's not the initial program that really got things growing and got things going. You know what I mean? It's still a good starting point, but it's not what really got the ball rolling. So let's go down to some of the court cases. These are interesting. And let me get a drink of water. Hold on just a second. I'm drinking lemon water, and it is a little tart. Good old vitamin C. Wow, that really woke me up. <laughs> I wasn't asleep, but... You drink lemon juice. Wow. Okay. Interesting stuff. Okay. So there are some legal challenges. And here's the thing. Just because, um, let me put it this way. If there's a federal agency that you don't agree with what they're doing, you have every right to sue them. Now, just because a federal agency was starred in, in good faith and what they do is good and true most of the time, That doesn't mean that they don't make mistakes or that they should not be challenged. Because the way that you make something better is you challenge it. You test it. That doesn't mean be a bully or a jerk. That doesn't mean, um, well, let me give an example. Um, you know, there was a job I had years ago and my boss was a jerk. Um, couldn't believe hardly anything that came out of their mouth because they would give themselves permission to lie to the employees just to see what you would do, almost like cops that give that technically policemen do have uh, permission to lie from a Supreme Court point of view, even though they should not do that because I think you're selling your soul to the devil in that. But anyway, um, what this boss would do is th they would just constantly be testing you. Well, I'm just testing you to see what you'll do. That is cruel and cold and hateful, and that's really sick to do that. What I'm talking about in regards to these laws is that the way that you make something better is you, is you speak up when something's not right. That doesn't mean that you set someone up for failure and be like, oh, you'll figure it out. You know, we just want to test you. I hate that crap. Because that's what it is to me. It's crap. And I hate it when adults did that to us as kids um, in, in grade school. It, it was just horrible. It's like... You know, there were certain adults that you could not believe anything that came out of their mouth because they were so two-faced and, and just wicked. They were evil, wicked people, and they were shady. And it's like if you want to train someone and you want to teach someone and you want to see them grow, you need to always speak the truth to them because challenges are going to come up anyway. You know, you don't set someone up for failure. You set them up for success is the thing. You know, you know there's a big difference in that. So in terms of these legal challenges, what I'm talking about is that, you know, don't ever be afraid to sue someone. If someone has wronged you or you disagree with someone, take them to court. That, that's what the court system is for. And sometimes we learn more about rules, laws, and regulations as we go along and we realize, hey, that law may have been misinterpreted like three decades ago. We need to amend that. 
that's how we that's how we get things to be better sometimes that doesn't mean that you target a law all the time and you just always disagree with it it's if something comes up like you don't create problems you handle the problems that you currently have see what i'm talking about in regards to the boss that i had years ago and also the moron adults i had to deal with as a kid i'm talking about people that created problems like they were just evil people like they they did not care to do the right thing What I preferred and what I appreciate is when someone does not create problems but they help you solve the problem that you're currently having. There's a big difference in that. You know, I don't like muckrakers. And there's some people that they make that their hobby and their profession and I think that's really sick. So, that's just my personal opinion, but also um I know what it's like to work for bad people and, you know, be taught by someone that's a liar and then it's like, well, if everything they say is a lie, then everything that's the opposite of what they said must be the truth. So and um, you know, there's some people that you, you have to call them out on their behavior. But anyway, let's take a look at these legal challenges and we'll close off with this. So one of the first legal challenges is from 1975. It is trained versus the Natural Resources Defense Council Inc. It says under the Clean Air Act As states were required to submit their implementation plans within nine months of the EPA's um, standards, new standards that they passed, the EPA approved several state plans that allow for variances in their emissions limitations, and the Natural Resources Defense Council challenged that approval. The Supreme Court held that the EPA's approval was valid, and that as long as the ultimate effect of a state's choice of emission limitations is compliant. with the national standards for ambient air a state is at liberty to adopt whatever mix of emission limitations it deems best suited to its particular situation see the reason why they're holding that up with the states is because the clean air act and the amendments especially the clean air act it did not set itself up as a federal agency it's just a standard or a protocol so it's not an it's not a federal agency that rules and dominates the states it gives the states a chance to decide what they know they personally need or what they don't need within their state because no two states are exactly the same as i've said before oklahoma is not like california and california is not like alabama so being that we have different states different industries different rules laws and regulations that is a state's rights issue not a federal issue that's why they ruled that way the next one is chevron usa inc versus natural resources defense council inc and this one occurred in 1984 it says the clean air act instructed the epa to regulate emissions from sources of air pollution but did not define what should be considered a source for the emission of air pollution So the EPA had interpreted what a source was based on the legislation. The EPA's interpretation was challenged, but after review, the Supreme Court ruled in a 7-0 decision that the EPA had judicial difference to establish their own interpretation of law when the law is ambiguous and the interpretation is reasonable and consistent. This principle has come to be known as the Chevron uh, deference applying to any executive agency granted powers from Congress. So there are some things that you and I may not agree with in the court system. Like, you know, we may be very valid in what we think and what we know to be true, but it comes down to how are you interpreting the law? 
and how is it being implemented within its jurisdiction does the entity or the person or the agency in charge do they have jurisdiction and do they have due diligence in that that's just how it is sometimes we may not always agree with it but there there are some things are ambiguous some things are not that's just kind of, kind of how it is sometimes the next one is Whitman versus American Trucking I can't tell if this is Associations Inc I can't really tell because it's abbreviated but it's from 2001 it says following the EPA's rulemaking related to setting NAAQS standards related to diesel truck emissions the trucking industry challenged the EPA's rule in lower courts asserting the EPA's rule failed to justify reasoning for these new levels and violated the non delegation doctrine the dc sorry dc circuit court found in favor of the trucking industry determining that the epa's rule did not consider the costs of implementing emissions regulations and controls the supreme court reversed the dc district court's ruling affirming that not only was the delegation of power from congress to the epa by the clean air act constitutional but that the law did not require the epa to consider costs as part of its determination of air quality controls that's one of the things i was talking about previously in regards to the trucking industry so it's like you have the circuit court says one thing the supreme court says another thing but guess what the truck the trucking industry is still screwed which is you and me so regardless of whether you actually work in the trucking industry a ruling like this <coughs> excuse me it screws everybody over because If you ever go to the store, if you ever go to Walmart or Target and buy a good, guess what? You are being charged a trucking fee and fine based on what's going on with those goods and what's going on in the trucking industry. So just be careful what you agree with. Drink of water and ooh, that's tart. Okay, the next one. Ooh, that's really waking me up. Okay. The next one is Massachusetts versus Environmental Protection Agency and this is from 2007. It says with pressure from states and environmental groups on the EPA to regulate carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas emissions from motor vehicles, the EPA determined in 2003 that the language of the Clean Air Act did not allow them to regulate emissions from motor vehicles. nor were they motivated to set such regulations even if they were able to multiple states and agencies sued the EPA for failing to act on what they considered to be harmful air pollutants the supreme court ruled 5 to 4 that not only did the clean air act mandate the EPA to regulate carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas or sorry greenhouse gases as air pollutants but that failing to regulate these emissions would leave the EPA liable to further litigation. While the decision has remained contentious, the court's decision in Massachusetts versus EPA was considered landmark as it opened up the courts for further environmental lawsuits to force entities to respond to climate change. That's very interesting there. I'm surprised EPA um did not agree on certain things. I'm kind of surprised by that. Um I just wonder what the what the reasoning was. Um because for the EPA to back off of regulating anything kind of takes me aback. Next is the American Electric Power Company versus Connecticut. Uh 
And this is from 2011. Let's see here. It says several states and cities sued electric utility companies to force them to use a cap and trade system to reduce their emissions under a claim their emissions were a public nuisance. The Supreme Court ruled in an 8-0 decision that private companies cannot be sued by other parties for emissions-related issues as this is a power what is this as this is a power specifically delegated to the EPA through the Clean Air Act under federal common law. Ah, okay, learning something new. Federal common law. Okay, that's very interesting. Learn something new with that one. It makes sense. The next one is the Utility Air Regulatory Group versus Environmental Protection Agency, also known as EPA. This one is from 2014. This one that says the EPA issued new rules in 2010 that expanded emissions regulations for both regulated air pollutants and greenhouse gases to light and heavy engines and smaller stationary sources. These expanded rules were challenged by several power companies and regulatory groups, I'm not surprised, as they greatly expanded what types of facilities would need to acquire environmental permits prior to construction. Oh, okay. All right, that makes sense. Okay. The Supreme Court generally upheld the EPA's power through the Clean Air Act, though it vacated portions of the EPA's new rules. Excuse me. Sorry. Got something stuck in my throat. EPA's new rules affecting smaller sources. Okay. Here's what this is telling me and I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a judge, but this is what this is telling me because we've come across some of these issues in Oklahoma. All right. So there are different types of permits that do different things. So depending on what industry you're in will determine what kind of permits you have to get or what kind of permits you should get. Sometimes you have permits that you are required by state and federal and local and county law that you are required to register and get, right? There are other permits that you're not necessarily required to get, but they're just encouraged. So here's the thing, sometimes the EPA is is very unrealistic about industries and what all goes into an industry and what they do for a living. Sometimes the EPA can be very heavy-handed and require you to get these permits, but they're not realistic for the job. They're not realistic um, in terms of fines and regulations, and, and sometimes permits and permits and licenses, you know, they can take years to acquire. When you may need it right away for your power plant, your industry, your business, your workers, you know, sometimes you don't have years to waste and squander, whereas the federal government does. So. That's kind of one of the issues with these permits. Are they important? Yes, but they need to be processed in a timely manner. Most of these permits, oh my goodness, they take forever. It's not like getting a marriage license. I mean, it's not like getting a a dog permit or a driver's license. It's ridiculous what the federal government and sometimes what the state government does, but specifically the federal government. It's ridiculous what they put people through. it it just really hinders the private sector and it's like well here's the thing the the government it it fines you if you do get the permit because it's charging a permit fee but then it fines you if you don't get it or if you don't have that permit while you're trying to operate it's like well I'm trying to have a business like why don't you just give me the permit I've given you everything to show you that I am a valid business I haven't committed any crimes like what's the hold up basically the professional paper pushers are the hold up 
That's the issue with that. So we've had some issues with that here in Oklahoma, so I completely understand what these people are talking about. But I also understand that the EPA does have its, its role in helping to um, prevent pollution and you know, protect the public health and safety, but at the same time, it's ruining people's lives. It's, it's ruining their, um, their, their job market. It's ruining their source of income. And it's like, how are people supposed to feed themselves and their families if they can't earn a living? That's a big problem right there. So the next case is Michigan versus EPA, and this was in 2015. It says, in 2012, the EPA issued new rules that identified new pollutants such as mercury as hazardous materials to be regulated in power plant emissions. The cost of implementing mercury pollution controls on new and existing plants can be expensive, and several states, companies, and other organizations sued the EPA, the EPA that their analysis leading to these new rules did not consider the cost factor involved. I can see why, because the EPA doesn't care. The EPA doesn't really care who it puts out of business, even, even if it affects the entire United States. The Supreme Court ruled 5-4 that the EPA's failure to consider the cost of these pollution controls was inappropriate and that cost must be a factor in any finding that the EPA finds necessary and appropriate under the Clean Air Act. Okay. So it's one thing to come across information that says, hey, this is toxic, this is hazardous, you need to make some changes in your industry. Well, if it's not cost effective and it's not realistic, then what's the point? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's like, okay, we need to find a way to make things cost effective instead of punishing companies and states and individuals. The EPA looks at itself as a... Um, as a god or a demigod. It doesn't think it should be held accountable, which is why I said previously, if you need to take someone to court, you should take them to court. You have every right to do that. Every right. It's just one of those things. You, you have a right. Don't throw away your rights. You know, don't think that just because it's a federal agency that's too big to go after. No one is too big to be sued. No one. I don't care if it's in the public sector or the private sector. You need to put on your badge of courage and get out there and sue if you need to sue someone. This may sound tough, but you need to suck it up. And if anything, I'm just going to say it like it is, you need to pray about it. You know, if God be for you, who dare be against you? Even if the outcome doesn't come out to the outcome that you wanted, God is always for you and he has your back. See, because here's the thing, sometimes court cases, sometimes you may not win your case, but because you took someone to court, it got someone's attention. And now that issue is not going to be happening anymore, even if you lost your court case. The next court case that goes to court may very well win because of you doing your due diligence and for you having hope and faith and courage and you getting out there and fighting the good fight of faith, right? Sometimes our actions... Help others to have courage. And that's very important. Don't throw away your ability to be human. Because to fight for what's right, that is to be human. And that's a very wonderful trait to have. Don't throw it away. The next court case is West Virginia versus EPA. And as of this point, it is pending. 
It says, due to an oversight during reconciliation in 1990, um, 42 U.S.C., whatever that stands for, includes both House and Senate language related to the EPA's authority to regulate carbon dioxide emissions from, the, from existing power plants, with the House version disallow it while the Senate version allowing it. As part of the Clean Power Plan rules in 2015, the EPA relied on the Senate version of whatever document that is, 7411D, to implement new rules for existing sources to significantly cut carbon dioxide emissions. The new rules were challenged in court, but due to the change from the Obama administration to the Trump administration, the Clean Power Plan was repealed by the EPA in favor of the Affordable Clean Energy Rule, seeking only a fraction of the emissions reductions from the Clean Power Plan. The Affordable Clean Energy Rule was challenged in court and the D.C. District Court affirmed that the rule was arbitrary and capricious and failed to uphold the EPA's mandate to the Clean Air Act based on the Senate's version of 7411D. The court's decision was brought to the Supreme Court by multiple states and the, and the coal industry, seeking to determine if the EPA properly interpreted the intent of 7411D. The case was certified consolidating four petitions and will be heard during the 2021 and 2022 term. So, very interesting stuff there. So, here's the thing. Sometimes you got to go to court. That's just a fact of life. But here's the thing. Whenever you do go to court, view it as an honor, view it as a an opportunity to do good. And also I know I've said this before, trust God, do good. Believe in God. Go to him with everything. That's what I do. Because, you know, even though, you know, I'm going through all this stuff, I'm learning so much about my my country, the United States. And I know there are other countries listening into this podcast. And, you know, I'll just tell you straight up, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a judge, um but I am a citizen of the United States. and i take it very seriously the things that happen in my country and i want to know what's going on and i want to understand these rules laws and regulations you know not just for my sake but for other people's sake you know to good to have good common knowledge because a lot of this stuff is not common knowledge it's not talked about it's not published hardly at all and these are things that affect everybody and, you know my degree is not even in the law My degree is a bachelor's of science in general studies with emphasis in English and history. That's probably why I love to read stuff like this. But here's the thing, regardless of your background, like let's say you have a degree from an art school. You know, you still have every right to know this stuff. And here's the thing, I don't care if you have an art degree or a law degree, you you are equals to me. Like you are equals in my eyes. always have been always will be because you know when you are a citizen of the United States all these rules laws and regulations they apply to all of us it's not just the few and they belong to all of us if you're a citizen of the United States all of this belongs to you that's why you should be aware of it and that's why that's why you should have a clear understanding of it and sometimes it is hard you know, it's hard to understand okay what is the congress saying what is this what is the senate saying What is the federal government trying to say? What is my state trying to say? What is this federal agency doing? I mean, it's just it's murky, right? Well, 
That's why I tend to stick with stuff that's black and white, yes and no. It, you, you have definitives. Definitives are really good because it, it fills the void of uncertainty. So regardless of your background, regardless of your industry, it's very good to know these things because, you know, you know I'm learning from all these things that we've gone over. You know, I've met quite a few people that, you know, I've been able to say, hey, well, have you, have you tried this? Have you looked at this? And they're like, no, I have. I was like, well, hey, I can send that information to you or, hey, you can Google it, whatever the case may be. You know, I tell people straight up, I'm not a lawyer, but you can definitely look into that. And, and if you do need a lawyer, this is the one you probably need to take a look at because different lawyers look at different things and different lawyers fight and defend different things. You know, there's general counsel, but then, you know, there are some attorneys that all they do is oil and gas industry. Whether they work for, for a specific company or maybe they handle the contracts or maybe they fight for an oil and gas company, whatever the case may be. So, I mean, there's... I look at this way there's always someone out there that can help you. Don't ever feel like you don't have someone that's not on your side. What I've learned is that whenever you feel the most lonely, that's when you really need to open up your heart and when you need when you need to take the blinders off of your eyes and realize that there are more people out there that are for you than are than are against you. Like even though I don't agree with hardly anything the federal government does, I'm learning more and more things that I actually do agree with and that I do like what they do. And I'm surprised by that considering I am a Republican capitalist. So, I mean, I'm learning a lot about myself as much as anything with this. You know, and that that's the good thing about being human is that you can always change your mind and you can always learn something new and you can always adapt. You know, I think sometimes we we convince ourselves that we're never going to change and that's just not true we change all the time i mean our skin cells change like every month i mean and we we grow a new hair follicle i mean depending how long you let it grow like sometimes your hair follicles can change out every 2 years or something depending on how often you cut it me personally i haven't cut my hair since before covid-19 so it's pretty long now but i mean i'm just saying that times change things change but morals and values and dedication do not change and those are the foundations of our planet basically and those definitely apply to our country but um i will go ahead and let you guys go but until next time i pray that you're happy healthy and whole that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week thank you so much god bless bye bye
Waves transform the earth. 